I want us to ask this question, what breaks our hearts? Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has made it clear to him that he will face prison and persecution. The Holy Spirit has made it clear to him that he will suffer. But he, he still wants to go because he is compelled by the Holy Spirit to go there. Even though he has every reason not to, He is compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. And therefore, he submits to the Holy Spirit. And on his way, he visits brothers and sisters in Christ. He meets with the elders, the leaders of churches, encouraging them on his way to his own suffering. We saw last Sunday, he met with the elders of Ephesus. We saw how emotional that farewell was. In our text today, we are told he first He takes a, step, a stop at Cyprus. They sail to Syria. They land at Tyre. And there they seek, verse 4, they seek the disciples there and stay with them for seven days. And through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So Paul is under intense pressure not to do what he knows the Lord wants him to do. And this pressure is not coming from unbelievers. It's not coming from people outside the church. It's coming from believers. Out of their love for Paul, they urge him not to go to Jerusalem. And they actually do it in prayer. When it was time to leave, verse 5, We left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. And you can imagine what their prayer sounds like. Probably they are saying something like, God, we pray that you help him understand that he should not go to Jerusalem. We know that you want to protect him. 
and we know that you want to keep him here with us. Please, Lord, open his eyes so that he doesn't go to Jerusalem. Verse 6, after saying goodbye to each other, we went, up, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at uh, Ptolemais where we greeted brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So they visit Philip. We know about Philip. We, we learned about him as he evangelized in Samaria and other places. It's only in Philip's house that he doesn't get pressured to go to, not to go to Jerusalem. And he stays with them. And we are told Philip has four unmarried daughters who prophesy, who are ministers of the gospel, but they don't pressure Paul not to go. It seems as if in this house, Paul gets the encouragement that he needs. But his problems don't end there. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agbas came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Agbas, a prophet here, confirms what the Holy Spirit has already said to Paul. If you look at verse, chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says from verse 22, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the rest and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So when Agbas presents this grammatic, uh, dramatic prophecy, he is only confirming what the Holy Spirit has already revealed to Paul, but his intention is not to confirm that. His intention is to intimidate Paul from going. So he too is adding more pressure 
to the apostle. Because verse 12 tells us, when he had this, when, when we had this, this includes Luke now, because he says we, so he's including himself. When we had this, we and the people there, so this also includes the company that Paul was traveling with. We and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So now the pressure is not just coming from other brothers and sisters. It's coming from his own people, his own company, the people that he is traveling with. They are pressuring him not to do what he believes to be God's will. It's everyone against Paul. Now you know how this feels. Because some of us have had experiences where we were under so much pressure that we stopped doing what we believed was the right thing to do. Some of us attract that pressure when we, were, when we are unwilling to do something, but we want someone to encourage us not to do it. There are days that uh, I usually don't feel like going to the gym. No, I think about it and how it feels to be there, and I just don't feel like going. And you know what I do? I turn to my wife. And I know that she loves me and she always wants to encourage me. So I'll tell her, I really don't feel, I know I should, but I don't feel like going to the gym today. And you know what I want her to do? I want her to agree with me so that I can have a reason not to go. I want her to tell me, yeah, I understand, just stay here and continue adding your weight. <laughs> but my wife is, she's a very good pastor's wife. She would look at me, and somehow she would know what I expect from her. And then she'll say, you just go. Just, just go. Once you get there, you, you will be okay. And I'm like... <laughs> and now when she says that, I have to go. But there are days that I tell her the same thing, and she turns, looks at me, and she says, yeah, you can stay. And I'm like, yes! Many times, 
we do face pressure from other people, from family members, from friends, from the society. Pressure for us not to do what we believe to be the right thing to do. But there are times that we attract that pressure ourselves. For example, there are people when they have made a decision to divorce, they would go for counseling just so that the counselor can confirm that they need to divorce. And then they will take that as an encouragement for what they have already decided to do. Sometimes we attract that pressure and sometimes we face it from other avenues. Paul is not attracting this pressure. Paul is focused on going to Jerusalem because he knows the Lord wants him to go there. He knows that when he gets there, he will suffer, but he still wants to go because he knows that's where God wants him to be. But his own brothers and sisters and friends, out of their love for him, are urging him not to go. So the question here becomes, whom will Paul listen to? <laughs> to whom will he pay attention to? Will he start thinking about his own life and the pain that he will experience and give in to the pressure of his friends, his brothers and sisters? Or will he remain focused on the Lord and go to Jerusalem knowing that prison and suffering awaits him? Listen to his response. When they all turn to urge him not to go, Paul responds in verse 13. And he says, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Paul knows that the path of righteousness that he is following will lead to pain and suffering. But that's not what breaks his heart. His heart is not broken because he will face prison and suffering. His heart is broken because his own brothers and sisters are urging him not to do what he believes to be the will of God. What breaks your heart? It is their persistency to discourage him 
that breaks his heart. And Paul desires to do God's will. He says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. If you are so concerned about me suffering, I want you to know that I'm also ready to die. In other words, he's telling them, I would not have committed myself to the message of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. Paul has one desire, and his desire is to do God's will. To do God's will is to live according to God's word. It is to obey God's voice. It is to desire to please the Lord. Every time you are faced with decisions and you know that one choice will please the Lord and the other choice will not be pleasing to the Lord. God's will for you at that moment is to make a choice that will please the Lord. God's will is what we know God wants us to do at any given moment. At this moment, Paul knows that God wants him to go to Jerusalem. Paul's experience here teaches us one thing. It's important for you to get this. His experience his response to the pressure that he is facing teaches us that God's will is the best place to be. In God's will, that's the best place to be. And as a young person, for those of you that are here, the sooner, the earlier you learn that, the better for your life. You need to realize that the safest place you can be is where God wants you to be. Not where your friends want you to be. You live with that truth in your life, you will find yourself making the right choices all the time, because you will have one desire in your life, and your desire will be to please the Lord, regardless of what your boyfriend or your girlfriend may think or say. I was expecting a man from this group here.
to do God's will means identifying with Jesus Christ in a culture that wants to wipe God out of the picture. It means that as a believer, as a child of God, you are not ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ even though everyone else wants nothing to do with God. It means that you are ready to stand alone because you know that when you stand alone, God is standing with you. And like someone else said, one man, one woman with God makes a majority in any society. Paul understands that God's will is the best place to be. And when he would not be dissuaded, they say, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And after this, we started our way up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Bob Pierce was a missionary to Asia. Moved by the Spirit when he saw the plight of the Asian children, he prayed. And he had one prayer that he, he wrote on his, at the back page of his Bible. And his prayer was, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And it is through Bob Pierce that we have the Samaritan Pass. It is when he died that Frank Graham became the president of that organization which now helps people, especially children around the world, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Is your heart broken by the devastating events that happened to your life? Or is it broken by your desire to do God's will? There may be so many things that we face in life that breaks or that may break our hearts. Many experiences will happen. But as a child of God, as someone that understands that Jesus Christ first loved you and died for you, 
As someone that understands that the death of Christ on the cross demonstrates God's love for you. And he loved you when you did not love him. Because Romans 5.8 says that he loved us while we were still sinners. If you are a believer and you understand that Jesus died in your place, you know that if it were not for his death, you would go to hell if you died today. As someone that understands that, you should have a desire in your heart to want to please him. And even though you may face experiences that will threaten to break your heart, one thing that should break your heart all the time is your own unwillingness to do God's will. One thing that should break your heart is when you attempted not to do what you know God wants you to do. That should break your heart. As a husband... One thing that should break your heart is when you are not loving your, life, your wife the way God wants, wants you to. That's what should break your heart. That should bring tears to your eyes. As a father, it should break your heart when you're not raising your children the way God wants you to, that should bring tears to your eyes. Your own unwillingness to obey God's will is what should break your heart. Your heart should be broken when your friends are encouraging you not to do what you believe to be right. That's what should make you cry. That's what should make you cry because they are discouraging you from doing what you know God wants you to do. Someone is asking, what about the wives? You're not saying anything about them. I'll do it next Sunday. <laughs> God's will is the best place to be because God's will will always take you where the grace of God will sustain you. We fail in many times because we either don't understand the grace of God or we don't appreciate it. In many ways, we behave like the Israelites, where they experienced God's power in Egypt through the plagues. And then they experienced his power when he parted the Red Sea and they walked on a dry land, 
And then they get to the other side and they start complaining about the cucumbers and the spaghetti that they had in Egypt. They start complaining as if God is not able to provide for them. They have just experienced something that is greater than they have ever experienced in their lives. And one moment, they are doubting the same God. They are and were not appreciating God's power and God's grace. Not because they don't know it, but because they haven't fully submitted to it. We go through the same motions in this life. Where we believe and we can argue about it, how God's grace is sufficient, how God's grace saves us, how God's grace is available and is amazing. But when it comes to submitting to God's will, knowing that his grace will sustain us, we fail. Paul understands that. He understands because there was a time in his life he had a thorn in his flesh. And he prayed to God to remove it. And God said three times, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul changed his mind and he said, I from now, I will glorify God in my weakness. Because when I am weak, he is strong. That's why Paul is able to keep on going even though he knows that prison and suffering awaits him. He knows that the grace of God is sufficient. Where God's will leads me, his grace will sustain me. God did not bring you this far to leave you alone. All you need to know and all you need to make sure of is that you are where God wants you to be. And God will always be faithful. And knowing this as a child of God, knowing this as someone that believes in Jesus Christ, when you attempted to walk away from the path of righteousness, when you attempted not to do what you know God wants you to do, when you are facing the pressure to conform to the image and the pattern of this world, when your friends are pointing you in the right, wrong direction, when your brothers and your sisters are telling you, you don't need to follow this God, even when your spouse is discouraging you from worshiping the Lord as a child of God, you should be able to turn to the Lord and say, Father, I don't know what you are doing in my life. I don't know why you are allowing this to happen to my life. But there is one thing I know, and that is your will will never lead me where your grace cannot sustain me. So help me, Lord, help me to stand 
with you. And if Jesus is not yet your Savior, God's will for you is that you may repent, is that you may turn to Jesus Christ right now and ask him to forgive you and to save you. And he promises to do that. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit comes to your life and you begin a new life. God gives you a new chapter in life. You will start seeing life differently because you will be seeing it from God's perspective. And you will become a new creation, a child of God. And you will start having the desire in your heart to want to please God. But for those of us that are already believers, I just have one question. What breaks your heart?